Coach Taku. Making anime your new life coach. Happy Friday, all Coach Taku listeners. Hope you're having a wonderful day. And I'm so excited that we're here and we're bringing a new guest speaker. Okay, and I have to introduce her in a really special way. Because, because this person is really near and dear to my heart. In, in, to, to make the point clear, she's like the McGonagall to my Hermione. Oh my God, that's terrifying. <laughs> the Tsunade to my Naruto. Oh. And I have am introducing here Christine Sachs, master certified coach. She's also a leadership coach and the person who trained me in my coaching abilities also works closely with Christina. And Christine, so happy to have you here. Really privileged, a little nervous, all the things. Oh my God. No, thank you for having me. I mean, I often talk so much about serious stuff. So it's fun to be sitting down and talking about anime. I, I often interchangeably talk it, call it manga, so you'll have to forgive me because my daughter draws manga. And we watch anime. I know. I know. It's all good. We're all here. We're here as anime, manga, gaming fans. So you're in the right. You're in the right crowd. And we're. Talking- oh, we should. You should do. A, we should do an episode on uh, Genshin Impact. That's the new one. Yes. I'll put that on the list. Definitely. And but the the one that we're talking about today is kind of like one of those classic films in anime. And it's another Miyazaki film, one of the OG ones. And it's uh, Princess Mononoke. And if you don't know Princess Mononoke, it's the story of a young boy who gets bitten by this cursed demon. And he goes out of his village in search for a cure. And in his in his journey, he meets uh, he comes across this village who's at war with the forest, and they're both fighting over resources and who's going to get this land. And there's an ethical moral dilemma between them. And Christine, what are your thoughts on this whole thing? Well, I was first of all, I was surprised it dubbed into English, and I really enjoyed seeing all the like at the end of the American names as, as the thing because I, I really thought I was going to be watching subtitles I will say it took a little bit away for me I was like oh it's fine um uh I mean there's just such artistry to this particular his style of anime and his style of storytelling um and I think one of the things I really appreciated is the I don't know I don't I'm not a I'm you know I don't know a lot about the anime style but I felt I could feel the richness of the tradition of anime in it um, with the sweeping landscapes and the attention to certain details, um, the allowing the visuals to tell a story in a way that's very different from Disney and Pixar, you know, um, it was funny because one of the things I was anticipating was to like, I don't know why, but I have this story in my head that anime moves very slowly. And so I was prepared to like, okay, let's just like, readjust my breathing to prepare for the for the pace but it was actually like the I found myself 
uh, engaged and enraptured in the story um, almost immediately, um, which I think is probably some, uh, I can't think of the word, but some reference to Western storytelling where the action happens in the first 20, 20 pages of the this, of this story. Um, but yeah, a lot of different things uh, stood out to me and we're going to get to one of the themes that you and I had talked about prior to this, but, um, but I think probably outside of the theme that we're going to focus on, I was really, I really admired how it wasn't a girl meets boy, girl saves boy, boy saves girl. And then they live happily ever after. It was like, no, you, you do you, I'll do me. And we will, you know, meet up because we have other things that are super important and we would never force the other person to change. I was like, oh, that's so, that's so enlightened. And that love can look many different ways and not this very traditional, like heteronormative love story kind of thing, which is pretty cool too. Yeah. Um, I think this story is kind of revolutionary in, in many ways. And I think the other, one of the other characters that actually brings some of that for me is Lady Eboshi that I know we'll talk about in a little bit, but I mean, what a what a leader, what a strong woman who defies like traditions and defies probably a really painful past to come and be the face and be the strength of this little town who's trying to survive. So and now that we can go right into the theme of our coaching conversation today, and it's about forgiveness, because what we find with a lot of these characters, if not all of them, is that they're really holding something either on themselves or the others around them and or both, which keep them really stuck from moving anywhere. And that just keeps them in a loop of consistent violence and pain. And so it's not until the end that we're able to see some of this break up. But I thought it was such a powerful co coaching conversation because it relates to us as well as what are we holding on ourselves? What aren't we letting go of? And how is that keeping us stuck in certain patterns and loops? Well, should we jump straight to the end? Because what I what it, there was a wonderful book ending of the story where <clears throat> when the demon when the demon um, boar comes out of the forest, um, you know, uh, Ashitaka is like, "Go in peace, go in peace!" Like basically yelling at the thing, telling him, "You should forgive us," <laughs> and it doesn't work. But an act of um, an active act of um, and and at the end there's a demon a, not a similar demon but a demon and it's an active act of um, surrender and being versus doing or telling that allows for the change to happen at the end of the story. Yeah, it's almost like that the scene in which our forest spirit causes the destruction of both the people in the village and the forest creatures, I think kind of just makes everyone take a good look and say, what are we actually doing here? And how is this really working for ourselves? Because we know that the villagers are struggling to survive. They're like all throughout this, the story, there's this theme of scarcity, like not enough resources, not enough uh, people. And the same thing for the forest creatures, we see them dying off. So in this theme, they're just working against each other, but not really towards anything that really benefits them in the long run. And I think it becomes really obvious when the forest spirit kind of puts it in their face and says, well, this is the destruction that you're causing. And so. Um, well, 
I think I had it a little differently in that it struck me that the what they thought was forgiveness was revenge because in the end, right, it's uh, uh, you know the people looking for for revenge on the forest that didn't really do anything to them. They made it. They chose to see it as a fight for resources, but it really wasn't. They were actually coexisting fine, um, but they saw they created this battle and this sense of revenge to give them something. And then the forest creatures also, right? Like this idea that revenge would bring them the peace that they were seeking from the humans. But, you know, as we know, like you try to bring about peace with fighting that generally only ends up hurting both sides. So um, that because of pain. And so when the forest spirit at the end kills off the forest and all the spirits, I didn't have it. It was because, um, uh, it's not so much they couldn't forgive as much as revenge became the method or the way to forgiveness. And there were unintended consequences of that, you know? So I, you know, if we take it to a coaching conversation, the, that, behavior that we often see in people across the board, whether they're in corporate or in their personal lives, where they believe that they're so committed to this one way of doing something as the way to do it, but then never kind of take a step back and see that the thing that they're doing doesn't actually get the, to them to the point that they're trying to get to. You know, like I, I was talking to someone today who was basically trying to enroll me in their perception of themselves which is not nice it wasn't a nice perception of themselves and i had asked them like what what was the purpose of that and they're like well i'm trying to help you understand why it is this way and why this exists i'm like well i understand why what are you doing like what is it actually doing for you and where we got to is that by telling the story and trying to understand they thought that trying to understand would help them solve the problem, but trying to understand actually made the problem more real because now they had all the evidence as to why this thing existed. So the solution actually created more of the problem versus the thing they thought they were going to get by it. That's so interesting because I see that playing out for, especially for the older, the villagers who had been fighting longer, the creatures, the God creatures, because it's almost like it was a justification for the violence and the death that they had witnessed and that they had been privy to. It's almost like that made it okay. Like we have to keep in this loop because otherwise where's the meaning of what we've done, what we've seen, what we've lost. And it was kind of heartbreaking to kind of look at those moments. And also I think um, one of the moments that I was like, oh yeah, this is where we'll see that shift is when the forest spirit actually goes up to the to the wolf god and the bear god and he's there in their last moments and it's almost like go in peace and it's almost like that that's the end of that of that past of that history let's start something new and fresh from here which is really cool yeah well it's interesting right because the idea that this un insatiable need for revenge or hurt was uh depicted as these worms writhing around not that they did anything other than they got under your skin and kept growing, right? Because uh, Ashi, Ashi, uh, Ashitaka, right? When the when the worms wrapped around his arm and embedded himself in his body, it's not like they, you know, chewed off his arm and then his arm was missing. No, they actually embedded into him and began to take him over. Like that's a really incredible depiction of how these things 
kind of embed in our thoughts and our feelings and they begin to take over. Yeah. And how we lose ourselves. Let's come, we lose sight of our own greatness because, and even in the, we can see when the, the uh, boar God is taken over by the demonic side. It's like the wolf God says he's, he's no longer a God. Like he's lost his God divinity. And that's true even for ourselves when all we can see or hear is that negative self-talk is the stuff that we're holding on ourselves just like we can't relate to ourselves as the greatness that we have the the talents the strengths everything that we bring as an individual so well and the irony is that they had all of the you know, creatures in the movie had it all within them, right? How um, Lady Eboshi cared for the lepers and the prostitutes, how Moro, the wolf god, cared for the human child. So it it's there, caring for the things that either they didn't like in themselves or felt victimized by, like it's all there, but the choice to blind themselves on a larger scale. Yeah, the choice to blind themselves and also to look for an external source to play this out with instead of looking internally. Because I think what I think what I think Ashitaka did, which was pretty amazing, is that he had an objectivity and he comes into this village not being a part of either the forest or the village, and he's just observing and he looks at people and he relates to their humanity and he relates to their their hard work and who they are and then he goes into the forest and he does the same with the creatures like he has a respect for all of them and relates to them as as who they really are in a way that these individuals can't do for themselves or each other and so I think that's why he's like hey we can actually work this out we can actually find a peaceful solution to all of this but and I think we can look at Lady Boshi a little bit more right now in this conversation, because I think one of the things that's so interesting about her is that she, as a woman, she she's a leader of this tribe. And you can tell that she's fought really hard to get to where she is, but she's committed to like really destroying the forest creature for some unknown reason. It's almost like whatever she can't forgive in herself, she's looking for an external source to kind of justify and kind of make her feel validated for the things that she's not letting go of yeah well I think that one of the clues to her motivations is in the one of the final scenes where she's got the gun to kill the forest spirit in its deer form whatever um I forget the line exactly but it's something about killing the god of life and death right I, I have the line actually oh okay yeah she says uh, I'm going to show you how to kill a god a god of life and death right I mean think about it like what what drives someone to want to conquer life and death what's the relationship to those two things that would motivate someone to want to kill both things like it's understandable if like you want to kill the god of death or the god of life but to kill both like what's that you know what is it that she can't forgive in either life or what's the thing that unites life and death that she can't i'm going to use the word forgive because that's what we're focusing on but what is it that she can't forgive that exists in both of those planes that would drive her to want to annihilate them you know and you know maybe it's about power you know maybe it's about being so 
powerless in both life and death. You know, let, I mean, her backstory is not really known, but if, because she's a woman, if she had been, a, you know, in a brothel or, you know, come from someplace because she moves and acts like a courtesan or potentially, a, a, you know, even if she was like a rich, you know, some royal person, as a woman, she's not going to have any choice of her either. So to assert dominance of the direction of, I will choose my life, I will choose my death, right? The We're going super deep here. Like, I don't know this, like, but like this idea that, you know, um, killing her own weakness, which in a patriarchal society is basically killing her own, killing her own spirit, her own femininity. That is the quote unquote cause of this powerlessness. I feel like I sound super crazy right now. <laughs> no, I think you're, you're, I think you're on point because it's interesting that in that scene where she's, um, where she's going after the forest spirit, we know that they're, her village is being attacked and Ashitaka actually finds her and says, Hey, they need you. And she goes, I've taught them how to take care of themselves. And again, these are women who are sex workers, these there are lepers there are people with disabilities it's not it's not a super strong like physically strong village from an outsider's perspective but she's ensured that she's giving them the tools and resources to kind of go out on their own and the motivation behind that is like but why and it's like when you think from a place of looking for power or like relating to her own powerlessness she doesn't want others to experience that or she doesn't want the people that she cares about to experience that so it makes sense that she's really focusing on like becoming stronger, becoming more powerful as a thing that she can't forgive in herself. She doesn't want to relate to herself as weak or as not having choice or whatever the case may be. Yeah. I can also see how people might interpret that as just callousness and having no empathy, you know, like, nah, that'll be fine which I, I will admit that's what I thought when I first saw it. I was like, whoa, that's kind of, that's kind of not nice using them to blah, blah, blah. Um, but I think also one of the really interesting things is that it shows the, how we're not one dimensional, right? We're, we're, we as humans are capable of great light and great dark. Um, yeah. And in this movie, it's the creatures too. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, it's funny. Uh, uh, I don't think you knew this person, but like there was a person who once said inside of a coaching conversation, um, inside the training program, they're like, can't a sandwich just be a sandwich? It's like, nope. <laughs> we will examine and look at everything. But I think it's, it's definitely that deep look that creates the awareness of where are we stuck and where is this not working? And what choices do we have to have it go differently? Because I think that's the awareness that none of these characters are really facing, or they're not really being in a conversation where they're taking a good look inside and saying, hey, how is this really working out for me? And how do I want it to go long term? And where do I see myself in this village, in this forest? Like, what do I want my life to look like? And I think that's an interesting conversation actually to bring to Princess Mononoke, who <laughs> who we know has, I mean, talk about forgiveness for this character. She's, she has such hatred for humans. I mean, she was abandoned by them and then her home is being destroyed by them. So as a human herself, she's kind of rejected that part of herself and embraced 
this life with wolves, but it's almost like when Ashitak comes into the picture who has so much love for her, she can't be with it because she doesn't know how. So she's another, for me, she's another interesting character to look at from, well, how do we reconcile what we can't be with and what we think of ourselves and the conversations that we're not having? Well, from like from there, and I didn't get this until you were just speaking, the um for me she represents choice because if we look at her story why would she like her parents threw her at moro the wolf god to save their own lives and then yes the humans were attacking the forest creatures so why would she she's got absolutely no reason because some cute guy walks up <laughs> i mean i wouldn't i would like i'm sorry like that's not enough for me either i have a cute guy right over here like all this other stuff. So that in every moment she chooses to forgive and to stand with Ashitaka and save the forest god and not just kill some humans, but to actually stand above her anger and her need for revenge. Um, you know, it's really like for me, she's one of the most powerful characters because of that. Whereas the others, they get there a little circumstantially. Um, and Ashitaka is a little bit of a, he's a little pure to be real. I'm a little bit like, hmm, yeah, okay. But Princess Mononoke, like, and it's interesting, right, that he, the director, the creator, made her the main character as opposed to, because the journey we follow is Ashitaka. But he named the movie after her, right? And the choice that she gets to make in every moment. So I just think that's pretty cool it is I mean I, I she's such a badass character in all of it and I think I really love the ending that she chose for herself she's like hey I'm not I'm not like I get it but I'm not going back I'm gonna stay here in the forest this is where my family is this is where my home is and I really respected Ashitaka for being like hey you know what that's cool <laughs> we can I can come visit you <laughs> I can come we'll meet halfway <laughs> and um it was um really novel I, I love the relationship that we see kind of budding between them both and the respect that they have for each other's um, views and perspectives. So Christine, to wrap up the episode, any last thoughts that you want to leave the audience with in terms of forgiveness, in terms of the movie, anything, any closing words? Wow. Now I feel pressure. Any last words? Um... Well, I think there are a lot of really interesting themes, uh, environmentalism, conservatism, uh, the nature of religion and belief, faith, forgiveness, uh, conflict resolution. You know, one of the things you wanted, you had also seen as a big, as a big, um, what constitutes family? You know, I think that um, it's a beautiful movie to watch. And if you're interested in some of these other themes, it's also a really thought provoking movie to kind of take a look at any of them. Um, I tried to get my daughter to watch it too, but she said no. Probably because I told her I was watching it for the podcast, and she's like, oh, mommy, this is like one of those like lesson movies, isn't it? I'm like, it's a good movie. Sit your butt down and watch it. <laughs> I mean, can't we find lessons in anything though? <laughs> that's see, that's what I think. But you know, it has the smear of mommy's work on it. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I totally recommend it. It's, it definitely is. If you haven't watched it, it is definitely an anime classic. Miyazaki is an amazing filmmaker and some of his other films include like uh, Totoro and Howl's Moving Castle, Spirited Away, which he's really well known for. 
Um, and all of his movies just evoke a lot of different themes. This one just has a lot of badass characters in it and a lot of re- revolutionary characters too. So a lot of fun to watch. Definitely think for yourselves and if any of this, if any of what we talked about kind of sparked an interest for you, please feel free to reach out. And Christine, like where can people follow you, um, email you, contact you? So uh, people can email me at Christine at ChristineSaxCoaching.com. My website is www.ChristineSaxCoaching.com. And if they want to, if they've enjoyed what I've had to say, I have a micro podcast call at, you can find on all the major podcasting sites called I Feel Awful Chronicles of Leadership. It's two to three minute tidbits, little lightning bolts of leadership tips and tricks. These are leadership tips from McGonagall or it's not it. So definitely check it out. You don't want to miss it. It's like brilliance in two or three minutes delivered to you. So if you're looking for that drop of inspiration, please do listen in. And Christine, thank you so much for being in this conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, thanks for having me. I can't believe it's like, it's already over. I was like, oh, time to wrap up. I was unprepared, but thank you. It was, it's so fun. Don't worry. We can have you again. <laughs> Talk about Genshin Impact or anything else you want to talk about. Thank you. Thank you. And of course, if you um, like this episode, please subscribe. um, Leave us a rating. uh, DM us with any suggestions on other animes you'd like us to cover. And until next time, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, thanks so much for watching this episode of Coach Taku. For subscribing so you never miss a new episode. Have an idea for an episode or show you'd love us to discuss? DM us on our Insta, Coach Takupod, C-O-H-C-H-T-A-C-U-P-O-D, or email us at coachtakupod at gmail.com. Love your wonderful host? In that case, you can follow me, Christina, at Roar on Instagram, and you can follow Mary at Mary, M-E-R-Y, dot, the nerdy coach. Thanks so much. Catch you in the next one.